0: You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs. By which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 20. It's a new age. Today's Proverb comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson. I'll read it twice. I pay the schoolmaster, but tis the schoolboys who educate my son. Once more, I pay the schoolmaster, but tis the schoolboys who educate my son. As soon as I read this proverb for the first time two weeks ago, I wanted to do an episode of Proverbial about it. I found this in the Oxford Book of Aphorisms, which I would highly encourage you to pick up a copy of. My copy sent to me by my friend Tom Banks. As soon as I read this quote, I was depressed. That was my initial response. I read it, I sighed, and then I texted the quote to six friends, all of whom are teachers or work in schools. And they responded in a very similar fashion to the way that I did, which was they sighed, they groaned, and they texted back. Ugh, it's true. It's sadly true. This was my initial response. Depression, sadness, a feeling of helplessness, pointlessness. I didn't record an episode of the show right after I heard it, though, and I'm glad that I didn't. Because I've been thinking of this quote almost every day since I read it a lot to say about this or a lot that I want to say and I did from the moment I heard it but I will say that the longer I considered this quote the less depressing it seemed the longer I considered it the more it was humbling sobering but I don't know that I find it depressing I don't think it's dismal. I don't think it's awful. So the first question I have about this is, what exactly are the schoolboys educating my son in? And I don't have a son, but I'm going to refer to my son, our collective son for the rest of the show. I pay the schoolmaster, but tis the schoolboys who educate my son. Educate my son in what? And I think that, As soon as you hear the quote, you understand that it's not that you pay the schoolmaster to teach your kids math and science, but the schoolmaster's adult, and so it ends up being the schoolboys who educate your son in math and science and English and history. Nothing of the kind. You pay the schoolmaster to teach your son one thing, and the schoolboys teach him something else. And it seems, and perhaps is, that the school boys are far better at educating if education involves a reforming. It seems as though the schoolboys are far better at this task than the schoolmaster. Because at the end of sophomore year, your son seems a good bit more like the other boys in his class and not very much like his literature teacher, like his science teacher. Now, perhaps this is obvious, but Emerson says, I pay the schoolmaster. The quote is not, the schoolmaster is supposed to teach them one thing, but the schoolboys teach them something else. He says, I pay the schoolmaster, and so we intuit The schoolboys are not paid for the educating that they do. More on this later, but it's also significant that Emerson doesn't say the schoolmaster is supposed to do the teaching, but it's actually the schoolboys who do the teaching. Or the teaching of the schoolmaster is ineffectual, but the teaching of the schoolboys is not. He says, I pay the schoolmaster, but tis the schoolboys who... Educate my son. And we might understand that the schoolmaster is paid to teach, but that education is something else. Thus, the way that the schoolboys impress their image upon my son is different than the way the schoolmaster tries to impress his subject or his image upon my son. So, If the schoolmaster is paid to teach math, science, literature, and so forth, what is it that the schoolboys teach? And I'm going to say teach. What is it the schoolboys educate in, if we're going to borrow the exact terminology from the quote? Now, I ask this question not naively, and there's a certain cynical response that says, well, what do the schoolboys educate in? Dirty jokes, desire to become rich and famous like the banal celebrities that they adore. Yeah, maybe. But because I think this quote is true, and I believe that this quote is in accord with nature, there's nothing about nature that ought to depress us. There's nothing sad about nature. There's something sad about corruptions in nature. But I think that the quote merely describes something which is natural and inherent in schoolboys. I don't know that there's really a way around this. And this, of course, I mean, this is what all proverbs do. They describe nature. Sometimes they describe corrupted nature. It's true. But problems are always about what's expected, what can be expected, what can be predicted based on nature and based on how predictable the corruption of nature tends to pan out. So, what is it that the schoolboys educate in? We could be cynical and say dirty jokes, but I think really what schoolboys teach is what normal means. And I think that this might be necessary. There are some things that I am only willing to accept as normal if someone who looks like me tells me they're normal. And so it might be that schoolboys educate my son in what's expected and what's normal in terms of dress, in terms of grammar, in terms of work and so forth. And the schoolboys are what constitutes normal in a particular generation. The schoolboys can teach a normal fixation on sports. They can teach normal ambitions, normal desires, and, of course, abnormal desires, but normal ones too. And I don't think it's wise to keep your son from the schoolboys merely because that relationship can and will involve some kind of corruption, some kind of bad influence. Of course, there are some schoolboys you want to keep your son from, but you should keep your son from the schoolboys that are much less righteous. Like seeks out like. Deep answers unto deep, moderately deep answers unto moderately deep, and a boy should have friends who are like him. So we learn normal, we learn abnormal as well. And it's unfortunate that we learn abnormal from our friends, but this might just be the price that you pay to have a child who's well adjusted to society. You have to have friends. Things can go wrong, sure. But the upshot of Emerson's quote is not, get your son away from those schoolboys. Because the thing is is that your son is a schoolboy too. Your son's a schoolboy too. Your son is the schoolboys to somebody else. To somebody else's kid. You think of the other kids as schoolboys and their parents... Think of your child as the schoolboys. I forget who said it. Might be, might be David Foster Wallace. You're not stuck in traffic. You are traffic. So your son is the schoolboys to someone else. So if you're going to keep your son from others, you might need to say it's for the benefit of others, not for the benefit of my son. My son is the bad influence on others. Up until my freshman year of high school, I listened to new age music. I had a lot of friends who lived in Newport News, which is where I was when I was 12, 13. And all my friends listened to New Age music. This was the early 90s. And the early 90s was kind of, well, there's really no golden age of New Age music. This was the heyday of New Age music. this is right when New Age sections of record stores... Began appearing I don't know that I don't think there's a new age section In The record stores that I shop in now I don't remember the last time I saw A new age No there is There is one new age section In a record store that I shop in Still around Who knows how long they'll last But the early 90s was Heyday of new age music This is when Yanni played at the Acropolis and anybody with PBS anybody who watches PBS rather um, and was watching PBS in the early 90s saw Yanni live at the Acropolis as you were scanning for something more interesting on your TV many, many hundreds of times probably nothing says early 90s PBS quite like Yanni live at the Acropolis I loved that stuff my friends love that stuff on New Age music when I was 12 or 13. Um, Enya, Kataro, Otmar Liebert. Um, I was a huge dork. <laughs> when I passed from eighth grade to ninth grade, though, uh, my family moved from Newport News to Moscow, Idaho. And I began attending Logos School. I think this was 94, maybe. And everyone in my class listened to alternative rock. Everyone. They listened to Better Than Ezra, Green Day, Cranberries, Smashing Pumpkins, Radiohead. And having spent the last year or two of my life listening to Yanni Better Than Ezra was kind of wild stuff I remember a particular occasion where I had some new friends from school over to my house and we were playing some board game and I put in some new age album. And they all just started laughing. <laughs> what is this? And I thought it was quite cool. This, had, this kind of music had purchasing power where I came from. And they all laughed. And I, for the life of me, could not figure out what they were laughing at. This is cool. I don't know what you guys are laughing at. Of course, you figure it out after you see a picture of an alternative band. It's a bunch of scrawny, unshaven, unbathed white kids in flannel. Look nothing like Yanni. Like a polite-looking Greek man with a well-trimmed mustache. Shampoo commercial hair. And three months after I started freshman year i went out and i bought pocket full of kryptonite by the spin doctors for six dollars at a pawn shop and it was all over from there between the age of 14 and 34 there was nothing in the world not god jesus the bible sunday school the church there was nothing in the world that had a greater Sway over my soul, over my desires, than pop music. And it was pop music that I bought as a result of my education from the schoolboys. And very quickly, of course, I began educating other schoolboys in pop music. But I'll say this, Um, over the last several years, last two years maybe, I've found myself reverting back to a number of tastes and prejudices that I haven't had or felt since I was 15 or 16. When I was... 16 or 17 I, a couple years after I began high school uh, I hated the internet I thought it was dumb I didn't like it I thought there was this false sense of sophistication about it and I thought the same thing about cell phones when cell phones became increasingly common you know 2000-2001 And I would make fun of people who had cell phones. I would make fun of them and speak of them as though they thought very highly of themselves, like they were celebrities or something who got phone calls from their agents. I even once, I don't remember how old I was, I even once swore off the Internet. It's like, I'm never getting on the Internet again. The Internet is stupid. But in the last year or two, I found myself reverting back to these old prejudices. I've now completely taken myself off of social media. And I know that at the age of 16 or 17, I would have laughed at people who had social media. After listening to so much pop music for so long, now my taste in music is far more... What I'm interested in when I put in a CD anymore is... Calming? (laughs) It sounds like uh, the interest of somebody who's into New Age music. I listen to a lot of ambient music now. I listen to classical music, I listen to jazz. I like candles. It's not so absurd to admit. I'm almost 40 years old, and it seems like my tastes have become that of someone in my 50s. And I say that not to brag, because most people in their 50s don't necessarily have sophisticated tastes. But at the end of the day, I find myself coming home, lighting a candle, and listening to ambient music. Maybe I write something offensive or incendiary for my blog. I don't do it on purpose, I suppose. But when I'm at home, the idea of listening to hard rock just makes my lower lip curl. And this seems to have crept up on me, though. It, this I made no specific decision. I don't remember when it was. Sometime in the last six months. My children had some fragrant candle that they lit in their room. And whenever I'd walk into their room, I would think, that's nice. I like that. <laughs> so I went out and... I bought a candle, and then my children gave me this fantastic candle for Christmas. And the candle should have lasted me months. I think I wasted through it in just a matter of two or three weeks. It didn't even last to the end of January. I pay the schoolmaster, but tis the schoolboys who educate my son. This is true, but it is true... Only in the short term. Over the course of a lifetime, eventually, this is what happens. Over the course of a lifetime, eventually, the schoolmaster becomes the schoolboys. I think that's this renaissance that can occur in someone later in life. Claiming to live through a renaissance, but what I am claiming is that a lot of the simple, mundane things that my teachers probably found satisfying back when I was a teenager now seem satisfying to me, and so I am now as old as my schoolmasters. My schoolmasters have become the school boys. And my memory of them is the school boy. I suppose this is the point that of course I don't see my schoolmasters anymore. All of my venerable teachers from high school and college are gone. I only speak with them very occasionally. But the memory of the schoolmaster, that's the schoolboy now. Those are my companions now. So it's not my friends from high school that have grown up as I've grown up that are still educating me. It's that memory begins this profound return when you're approaching maturity. And I'm marking maturity at 49, which is where Aristotle puts it, that as a man approaches maturity, memory swells, it grows, it gets bigger. You care more about it, you can remember things so clearly that you have not thought of in a long time, and you've now got the experiences to make sense of the abstractions that your schoolmasters gave you 20 years ago. emerson says the schoolboys educate my son he doesn't say teach and encountered another proverb recently from the same section that i got the emerson quote from and that quote was that proverb was we learn best that which we are not taught i think this is the the gist of the emerson quote too i pay the schoolmaster but the schoolmaster is involved in the conscious effort of teaching whereas the things that we learn best are not the things that we are sat down and told the schoolboys when I was in high school never sat me down and wrote (laughs) the names of all the members of the Smashing Pumpkins on a dry erase board and said these are the good people, you've got to trust them they're very cool, they didn't there's you no know, ed. There's no teaching. There's no quiz. There's no test. There was no test on whether Oasis is cool. The, I was educated by my friends, by popular media, but there's no creeds, or the creeds. Maybe it's that the creeds were never stated like creeds. They're always accepted on a subconscious level. So what the, what a good teacher teaches, or what a good teacher can educate students in, isn't science so much, but a good science teacher educates his students on what the life of a scientist is like. And if the students find the life of the scientist sufficiently compelling then that man will become the real teacher but if the students are not sold on the life of a scientist they're probably not going to care much what the science teacher says christ says a pupil is not above his teacher but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher christ doesn't say after the student's fully trained he'll remember everything the teacher has said Or after he's been fully trained, he'll be able to pass the tests that the teacher gives. Christ doesn't say, after the student's fully trained, he'll be able to do what the teacher does. The better paraphrase of Christ's parable might be, by the time the student's as old as his teacher, he will love all the things his teacher loved. If you were to ask someone who was just becoming a teacher, why did you decide to become a teacher? If you were to ask somebody who was two years in, three years in, what made you want to be a teacher? What that person's going to start talking about is their favorite teacher from high school. they're going to tell you about one or two men and women who offered a vision of a life that was attractive. No one loves a method. The schoolboys that educate my son don't apply a method to him there's no method to friendship there's no method to love love means doing love means sacrifice love means work but no one loves a method what we love is